You're listening to Scottish Radio News. I'm Chloe Gardner and I'm here with your news updates. Storm Isha's arrival is set to batter Scotland with strong winds, bringing a risk to life with gusts of up to 85 miles per hour. The Met Office issued a fresh amber weather warning as conditions turn increasingly windy over the weekend. The alert comes into place at 9pm tonight and will be in place until 9am on Monday, covering most of the country. Gusts reaching 65 to 75 miles per hour are expected widely, and even 80 to 85 miles per hour gusts over part of West and Northern Scotland. Rail services across Scotland will be ending early as Storm Isha brings severe weather conditions to all parts of the network. Network Rail confirmed that many lines across the country will be closing from 7pm tonight. Rail services will come to an early stop on all routes outside the Central Belt, along with Fife, The Borders, Mary Hill, East Kilbride and Kilmarnock lines. Other lines in the Central Belt will have a reduced timetable and longer journey times, as trains will be limited to 40 miles per hour. A spokesperson for ScotRail said following the closure there will be no services on the routes until they have been checked on Monday, which won't be until the afternoon for some routes. Nicola Sturgeon has said the UK Covid inquiry does have messages between her and those she communicated with during the pandemic, after it emerged that they had been deleted from her device. The former First Minister of Scotland posted on X that she will answer questions directly and openly when she gives evidence to the inquiry at the end of January. Sturgeon said, Contrary to the impression given in some coverage, the inquiry does have messages between me and those I most regularly communicated with through informal means. Although these had not been retained on my own device, I was able to obtain copies which I submitted to the inquiry last year. A nurse who left an elderly woman sitting in a chair and unable to move for 24 hours has been suspended from working in the profession. Stacey Smith was working at Randolph Hill Nursing Home in Dunblane in 2020 as a staff nurse when two incidents occurred during her shifts. A resident being left in her chair for 24 hours and failing to flush another resident's catheter after becoming blocked. Just a few days later, Smith resigned from her position with immediate effect and hasn't returned to the profession since. The former nurse was reported to the Nursing and Midwifery Council where she admitted the charges and impairment. The NMC panel concluded that Smith demonstrated no evidence of harmful deep-seated personality or attitudinal problems and there's no evidence of repetition of behaviour since the incident. It was decided that Smith should be given a six-month suspension. The report said that Smith had left the profession and is now working in hospitality. And that's all from me. I'm Chloe Gardner and you've been listening to Scottish Radio News. If you find yourself out and about today, please stay safe in the storm. Mearns FM weather with Ace Competitions. This is today's weather on Mearns FM. It'll be wet and windy this afternoon with gales tonight. Mearns FM weather with Ace Competitions. Head over to acecompetitions.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Instagram for more information. Mearns FM weekend sponsored by Ace Competitions. Win life-changing prizes cars, cash, luxury holidays and more with Ace Competitions. Starting at just 25 pence an entry, we have something for everyone. Ace prizes, Ace prices, Ace odds. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or enter online now at www.acecompetitions.co.uk All participants must be 18 years or over. BeGambleAware.co.uk Yeah.
Welcome to this worship service provided by Abuthnut, Bervey and Kniff Church. If you would like to find out more about us or support us in our ministry, then you can search for us online, on Facebook and on YouTube by searching for ABK Church. We pray that this service will be a blessing to you. begin our time of worship together as we sing um, come people of the risen king for able will stand and sing and the words will be behind me on the screen Let's come to God in prayer. We'll close the words of the Lord's Prayer again will be behind me. 
Lord God, our Father, we gladly sing your praise this morning. And we sing the praise of your Son, your glorious Son, your eternal Son. Your Son who we've come to know in Jesus. And we thank you for him. And we thank you that in your great love and your great mercy, you sent Jesus into this world when we turned away from you. When we had rejected you as our King, you sent him as a Saviour. You sent him as our Redeemer and our friend. Jesus, we thank you because through you all things were made and you continue to sustain the whole universe, upholding it all, causing all of its intricate parts and forces to move through the vastness of our universe. And loving Jesus, we especially praise and thank you because we could not enter into the presence of our Father God were it not for you. For in your loving kindness, your exceeding mercy, you came into this world. You came into it in such frailty and weakness as a baby. And you grew up in living a perfect life, never lying, always loving your neighbour, always filled with generosity. You overflowed with tenderness. You're fully attentive to God's plan for your life. You lived a life that we should have lived. And we thank you for your public ministry, for the wonder of your teaching for the miracles of healing, provision and care, for the way in which you showed compassion to the needy, the broken and the sinful. And we thank you above all for your willingness to go to the death on the cross. And there you took upon yourself all that should have rightly fallen upon us. You took our sin and you gave us back a robe of righteousness so that we can come to God the Father fully accepted, clean from all of our sin, into the presence of our God who has loved us from before time began. God, what a wonder that is, that we have sinned against you, and yet we can call you our Father, our loving, generous, kind, gracious, heavenly Father. And thank you that we can know your blessing, not just for a day, but forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And as we worship you, Might you keep our hearts and minds from becoming dull to any sense of the things of God. Keep us mindful of the wonder of your grace. Keep us from being distracted by the things that sparkle but will never satisfy. And come to us in a powerful way. And speak to us in these moments we pray. For we gather as the people of Jesus. And in his words we pray together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. sing again this time we're going to sing together one shall tell another
morning we've got uh, a few Bible readings and uh, the first one I'm going to do is from Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, they're up here um, or they'll be, words will be on a screen, but it's Acts chapter 2 um, verses 42 to 47. A well-known passage um, to many of us, I'm sure that's the first one we're going to read now. And so Luke um, records about that very early church just um, in the weeks and, and months after Jesus had um, lived, died, risen again and went back to heaven. And it says the Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the bre- and, and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and goods and they gave gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And our other reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. Um, verses 11 to 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. So Paul's writing and he talks about um, the church, that God has given gifts to the church, and then he records what some of these gifts are. It was God who gave some to the church to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and others teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen. Now, every one of us needs a support system. If you were a brain surgeon, you wouldn't operate without first hooking up your patient to a life support system to keep them alive while you're operating on them. 
Likewise, if you were a deep sea diver, you wouldn't go to the depths of the ocean without having a team at the top of the ocean on the surface, but also you being connected to some kind of life support system with oxygen, etc. And if you are living with long-term health issues, then thankfully in our country, you can argue the merits of it and how good it is, etc. But you have the backing of various living allowances and benefits provided by the social security system in our country. And you and I as Christians can't go throughout life each week in the world without a life support system of our own, helping us to navigate life's challenges so that we might honour Jesus in our daily life and fulfil our God-given potential. And one of the greatest potentials of all of this lies in the emergence of many small support groups within our larger congregation. Over the last year or so, our Kirk Session, our leadership team, have been praying about how to or we've been going to different groups and setting ourselves into finance team, property and so on. And one of the groups is a discipleship team made of Peter, uh, myself and Alison who's next door with the kids. And we've been getting together trying to work out how best to encourage us to be a church more and more. And as part of that is to be how to develop a network of smaller groups within the larger church family. Now what that will look like, I'll leave to the end of the message. But the main thing I want to do this morning is build, and build on next week, is provide a biblical basis for why we believe it's important for all of our church family, whether we're old or young, to be part of something more than just a Sunday gathering. Not just a bigger gathering, but also a small gathering, a call to small togetherness. And I'm eager for you to see it's not just something the church has devised, but something God has devised too. So I want to look at several passages from the Bible which I think have moved Christians over the centuries to seek smaller forms of togetherness as well as the larger forms, usually on Sunday mornings. And it begins with the recognition that we're hardwired for being in community because our God is in community. If you think about our God, it's not just that God is by himself, but rather God is three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They live together in perfect unity. And so it's not surprising that from the beginning, God made us to live in community. Now many of us will know the kind of brief outline of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, at least Genesis 1, where it says God made something, he said it was good. Day 2, he made something, said it was good, and so on. But you get to chapter 2 of Genesis, and everything's looking rosy, everything's looking perfect. And halfway down the page in Genesis chapter 2, you read the words, it was not good. If you know your Bibles, you know that the bad stuff doesn't happen to chapter 3, so what's going wrong in chapter 2? Well, God's made lots of things. It's all good, very good, he says. But in verse 18 of chapter 2, it was not good that the man was alone. Adam was by himself and God recognised that it's not good that he should be by himself, but rather he should be part of a community. He makes Eve and then the rest of the people. The passage is often used in the context of marriage, but it speaks so much of our fundamental nature and desire to be with others in community. How many of us struggled during the pandemic? Maybe, yes, you might live with others in your household, but you needed more than just the immediate family. You needed others to communicate with and not just see on a screen or down a phone line. What's striking about this statement is that God makes it before the bad stuff, before the fall. There is no sin yet. No one has done a single bad thing ever. God is in perfect intimacy with the the man But God still says, that's not good enough. They need more people. 
So God makes us to be in community because God is in community. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, each an eternal loving relationship. Because think about it, if God is just God, God the Father, how could he be loving? Who's he going to love? For all of eternity, who has he loved? No one. But if the Father can love the Son and the Son can love the Spirit and the Father and so on, they can all love each other, they can be an eternally loving relationship, eternally generous, eternally kind And therefore God makes us to be like that too. To be loving and kind and generous and looking out towards others and being in community. Think of Jesus too. He calls a group of folk, the disciples, to be in a relationship with him. He didn't need them. He was God after all. But he does that. He pours out himself. He loves them, cares for them, teaches them. And therefore makes the first what you could call small group. We need each other. And when we look at the early church, we get a picture of what small communities of people who followed Jesus together were like. Those first verses we read from Acts chapter 2 show us a little bit what it's like. In the middle of the verses that we read, it talks about how they met together in the temple courts. They were after all Jews who now believed that Jesus was the Messiah God had promised. So they met together in the synagogues in the temple. They said, we love you, God. And we believe, Jesus, you're part of the Godhead too. We love you. And until they get thrown out and they met there. But it says they also met daily in each other's homes. They shared communion. They had lunch together. They went for walks together. They read the Bible together. They prayed for each other. When one of them was sick, they looked out for each other. When one of them um, didn't have enough, they cared for them and said, here's my lawnmower. You can have uh, mine because yours is broken or whatever else it might have been. Every day they continued to meet together in verse 46 in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Met in homes and met in big gatherings too. (coughs) The believers engaged in life together through teaching each other, caring for each other, through having communion together. They prayed, they they were generous to each other, they worshipped with each other. They did all the things that we would do as a church, but they did it not just on Sunday mornings or at big gatherings but also in small gatherings too. Now look at more of this next week, but the Bible has over 50 one another verses in it. Love one another, pray for each other, care about each other, look out for each other and so on and so on. How can you do that if you don't know the person you're sitting next to? And if you're married to them, I hope you do know them. But if you're not, if you you don't know the other folks sitting nearby, how can you do that? How can you forgive the person next to you if you never get to know them that they might end up hurting you? How can you serve the person next to you if you only sit next to them for an hour on a Sunday and you don't see them again until the following week or two or three weeks' time when you both happen to be in the same Sunday service together? How can you bear each other's burdens if you have no idea of even their name of the person sitting nearby you? Never mind the fact that their marriage is falling apart or their child is ill or their parents are not... not, um, They've not found a care home for them yet, but you're really struggling to look after them. How can you do all of that if you don't know the people around you? God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. How can we apply those one another references unless we're in close relationship with each other? God calls us to love not in an abstract way, but in a deep face-to-face, transformative, life-on-life kind of way. It's messy, yes, but that's what life is. So in the New Testament church, where they could, they gathered in big groups. They met together in temple courts and in other places too. 
But so often they weren't allowed to. They couldn't because of persecution. Or this wasn't the space. And therefore they met together in small groups too. They went for walks together, prayed with each other. They met in each other's homes and had lunch together. And that was what church was all about too. And so what we would call small groups was not for the New Testament church an extra thing to add on to your diary, but rather it's part and crucial part of being a Christian. I know of many churches, and, and Kirsty said to me before that one of the churches that she grew up in, it was a case of if you become a member, you're part of a small group. It wasn't a case of it's an extra thing to do, like, oh, I'll help out in the coffee morning or help out in this. It's just a natural part of being part of that church family. And of course, some folk are housebound, some folk couldn't manage. But basically, if you're part of that church, that's who you were. You were part of a smaller group too. You met together, not just on a Sunday, but other times too. And part of it is because we want to grow as Christians. And preaching from the front is not enough. And the reason that preaching is not enough is because, well, I can't know all of your situations all at once. And even if I did... Some of you are married, some of you are widows, some of you are divorced, some of you are single. Some of you are older, some of you are younger. Some of you are working, retired, still to start a first job. Some of you are um, struggling financially, others of you are close to millionaires. How can I apply what I say on Sunday morning to all of us? We've got folk in our church ranging from one years old to 101. And I can't go through all of those ages and apply it to each of your lives. And so therefore, that's what we get to do together. We get to say, well, what does it mean for you to love someone else or to be caring for someone else or to do this or to whatever else it might be? And that's part of what it is because we're all ministers of the gospel. Now, I have the great privilege of being the minister, but actually that's not true. You're all ministers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, as we did earlier, it was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and others teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, that the body of Christ might be built up. This is the Magna Carta of church ministry, the blueprint of God's living temple. It's how God works out his mission in the world. A couple of verses earlier, it talks about how God gives the church gifts, and then he mentions these gifts that we've just read. That some are natural evangelists, some like doing kind of mission work and are almost like apostles. Some are great evangelists, others are teachers, others are more pastorally minded, and other gifts too. And God gives all of these gifts. Why? That the body of Christ might be built up. God gives these folk into the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is by the followers of Jesus. The body of Christ is built up by each other. And so the body, God's pattern for producing people with powerful faith is not just to have ministers or pastor teachers like me or elders as a whole to do the work of the ministry. We are to equip the saints to do the ministry. And the saints are not a special class of Christian. They're all of you. All of you who know and who love Jesus, you're a saint. And you're called to be a minister too. Maybe not to stand up on a Sunday morning and preach and get paid to do it, but you're called to be a minister to each other, to love, serve, be there for each other, to build up the body of the church in order that we might be all that we're called to be. And so therefore the question rises is whether our usual form of togetherness, i.e. Sunday mornings, provides an adequate setting in which that ministry can happen. 
And I think the resounding answer is no. We have our main form of togetherness here on Sunday mornings at Abuthna, at Bervey, and also in Gurdon in the afternoon or evenings. We gather together for an hour to exalt Christ through worship and song, through prayer and preaching. Also, we have a Thursday evening for prayer meetings. Now, in all of these settings, we can minister to each other. When you sing loudly, you help others sing loudly and worship God. Just being here is an encouragement. If none of you showed up this morning, I could worship Jesus myself, but I'd be mightily discouraged. So I'm thankful that you show up. That's a ministry to me. But the other stuff that God talks about in the scriptures, to really be radically loving to each other and so on, can we do that by just facing the front? I don't think so. Therefore, there's that call to a small togetherness. Because only in the smaller groupings will we be really free to pray for each other, serve each other, look out for each other, bear one another's burdens. Now, a couple more texts quickly I want to look at um, that have led believers through the centuries to that same conclusion. Does the work of the ministry among the saints necessitate the forming together of smaller groups? And I think yes. Hebrews um, has a, a couple of and um, Hebrews has a, a couple of um, texts um, that I want to look at. And the first is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Move it away so we all. And Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to original conviction firmly to the end. So the author of Hebrews recalls how in churches, sadly, some folk fall away from the faith. They're deceived by the attractiveness of sin and they fall away from following God. Now that has implications in how I preach, but notice what it does not say. It does not say, take care, minister, to exhort your people daily but rather take care, brothers and sisters, to exhort each other every day. In other words, the way that we all continue to walk by faith and follow Jesus is that we all get to play a part in helping each other. In other words, in order for Caroline, for instance, to follow Jesus, it's not just about her doing it herself or me as a minister preaching and she turned up to church, but actually all of you help Caroline to follow Jesus or the same with Andrew. Or same with Mary, or same with John, or anyone else in here. It's not a case of you and God, or the minister, and you and God. But rather, together, it's a community project to help each and every one of us follow Jesus. Even if you're not related to them, even in a different stage of life to them, we all get to follow Jesus and help each other follow Jesus. So how will that happen among the saints of the church? Through the smaller groups, through the gathering together in times not the same every time, not the same for everyone, but times together for everyone. It's not enough in the pool, but as I say, because I don't know all your situations, but in smaller groups you can know each other more. Whether you meet together weekly or every couple of weeks or every so often, you can know and love each other more and serve each other more than I ever could from the front. And when the saints get together to do the work of the ministry, the goal is not only to encourage um, strong faith, but also to stir each other up, to do love and to do good works, to be disciples, in other words, in all of life. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer exhorts us like this, 
Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice again, it does not say meet together that the minister might encourage you and stir you up to do love and good works, but encourage each other. My wife will tell you that I often need a kick up the backside in order to get anything done. I'm sure I'm not the only one who needs someone to challenge him to do something. And so let's say we met together on a Sunday and I just talked about how, you know what, go and feed the homeless this week. Next week I'm, I'm preaching in something else. But if you met up during the week, um, on Sunday morning you're like, actually, I should do something about homeless. Give money to charity or for Aberdeen, look at someone and speak to, to, speak to them. But who's going to chase you up next Sunday morning? Because I'm in a different sermon next Sunday morning. But if you meet up midweek, you can say, actually what Andrew said, that makes sense. Jesus calls me to love and to love even those who are homeless or struggling in life. And maybe that person can challenge you at the group. What have you done about it? Or if you haven't done this week, how about we come back next week and we work on that more? And I'll do it too, and you can do it too, and you can ask each other how we get getting on. On Sunday morning, I can't ask you all, I'm not going to ask you all, have you done all of this? Although I've heard a good illustration before of a minister who preached on loving each other. The next Sunday, he preached, and a couple of folk were like, hmm. The next Sunday, he preached again, and a few folk after him asked him after Sunday morning, like, Minister, you've preached the same sermon word for word for the last three weeks. And he said, well, until you do it, I'll preach the same thing. <laughs> but that's so true. Now, it would make it my job an awful lot easier if I preached the same sermon week after week. But I'm not going to do that. But week after week, you can meet together and you can say, how are we loving each other? How are we being generous? How are we being kind? How are we doing this, that or the other as part of our following of Jesus? And when you look through the history of the church, we see time and time again, God's way of stirring up his people has often been to gather together in smaller groups. The revivals in Lewis that took place in the 40s and 50s started off with a bunch of older women getting together to pray. I know somebody whose grand died last week who was converted in those revivals because some women got together and prayed. And that's happened throughout other missions and ministries in our church and throughout other churches and throughout the globe. Folk get together, not on Sunday mornings, as a big gathering, but smaller groups too. And somebody says, I've got a real passion to work and serve those in our community who have children with learning difficulties or disabilities, but I can't do it myself. And together they pray a bit more and work out what to do. And actually all of them recognise, we've all got a passion to do that. Let's serve those with disabilities. Or we've got a passion to care for those who are, addi- who are struggling with addictions. Or the homeless. Or those who are from another country and haven't settled in yet. That's how ministry and mission happens. We get together, we pray, and we work out what God wants us to do. And the last couple of things I want to say. In our church and following Jesus... Life is tough. I followed Jesus for 16, 17 years, about half my life, and it's been tough. For those who followed you, followed him for much longer, and have buried your parents, lost a spouse, buried a child, went through a divorce, struggled with financial struggles or whatever else, you find life all the more tough. But Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says two are better than one, because they each have a good reward for the toil. If one falls down, if one gets sick, has to bury a parent, whatever else it might be, the other one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. 
together we serve each other. Again, we'll look at this more next week, but the Bible also says we bear one another's burdens. We love each other. And a great example of that is our very own uh, Margaret Hutchison. Many of you know that Margaret's in hospital at the moment um, after um, being diagnosed with um, uh, cancer. And I spoke to her last Tuesday when I visited her. And she says, I'm so grateful for my church family. They've been loving me, caring for me um, at home and now visiting me in hospital too. And part of that she said that is because her own family aren't able to look after her. She's, not, she's never married, never had any kids. Her closest relative is her sister, who's in her 80s, who's her very ill husband, and they live in Devon. They've not seen each other for five or six years. So Margaret's family can't look after her. She's got nephews and nieces who also live in the south of England. They've got work, etc. So Margaret's got no one physically to look after her, at least not in the same way that many of you will have a family or friends to look out for you. But she says, I've got my church family. They've been caring for me. And Sheila and Sandra spent hours um, in the evening with Margaret in the house until the ambulance arrived a few weeks ago. And many of you visited her, prayed for her too. And that's part of being part of the church. If Margaret wasn't part of the church, mostly she'd have no one, but she'd have an awful lot smaller network. And I know I've needed the church family to look out for me in the past. And you've needed the church family too, many of you, to look out for you. Together we get to be the church. But ultimately, small groups are a way of living with her and living out our purpose as individuals and as believers, as a collective, to be the church together. We share that common faith and we get to live out our life, not just on Sunday mornings, looking at the minister, but with each other and serving each other. So God intends for all of us to do the work of the ministry, to serve and love and care for each other, not just about the building or the kind of... Uh, the structure of the church in terms of oh, keep the charitable body going but actually do the stuff that leave all the kind of charitable regulations behind and all the property stuff behind all that kind of stuff about just being the church it wouldn't matter if we met in here or in each other's homes it would still continue to love, serve, care for each other and do God's work in the world so lastly I want to conclude with some practical suggestions and examples so we've gathered a bunch of um, leaders, a few of us, myself and Kirsty, and a few others who are going to lead some smaller groups, at least to begin with. And we've arranged it that it's going to be on three evening meetings on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, or in seven o'clock, and an afternoon one at Thursdays at one. One of the meetings will be in Abuthnet, others will be in Bervey, including one here in the church centre, and perhaps one in Gurdon. And as, um, as you go out today, there'll be a couple of sign-up sheets, where you can put in which of those times you can make. If you can make two or three of them, tick two or three of them, and then it'll mean that we can allocate you one that's best. So if you can make Thursdays and Wednesdays, that's fine. It turns out the Wednesday one's right next door to you. will not make you travel to the Thursday one that's the other side of the time. You can stay in the same location. I also want to be as flexible as possible. So in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to start a series on being a disciple of Jesus. And I'm envisioning that these small groups will run for the five weeks of that series. We'll meet together in the following week if you can. And you'll chat about what I said, what the Bible is saying to you through that passage, and other questions that might arise out of it. And if you don't know a Bible, that's okay. Just go along and listen to others and let them chat and you can enjoy a cup of tea. That's quite okay. And over time, our aim is to be as flexible as possible. Because it's not so much a case of you meet together week after week in the same location but things might be different for all of us. Because no kind of one size or, or 
frequency or format will work for everyone. We want to let the Spirit of God do his work within us. And so there might be some organic meetings. So for instance, I can see several women meeting together for lunch and prayer every couple of weeks. Or three or four full-time workers meeting fortnightly for breakfast before their morning commute. I can see some parents with kids at home, whenever they can, arranging childcare, getting together, reading a book about being a Christian parent, sharing their concerns, then praying for each other's families. Others that might be you live too far away or you're too busy working throughout the week. So you meet together on a Sunday afternoon, straight after church. You bring your packed lunch, you grab it from the co-op and you come over here and you sit for an extra half hour, talking together, praying, reading a bit of the Bible if need be. And in my life, I've been involved in many groups of various types. In my early 20s, I was part of a group that were going towards becoming elders within our church about a decade or so ago. We met together monthly, read a book, discussed life of following Jesus. We prayed for each other. When I was um, in at university, when I was training, I was part of a group of those who were trained for ministry. We did a similar thing. Met together in someone's home. We prayed together, read bits of various books, chatted about how we hated the church we were working in or whatever else it might have been. <laughs> and then we solved each other's problems and we loved each other and cared for each other. Kirsty and I, um, when we started dating, we were part of a Christian union up in the Highlands, where together we prayed, uh, we read the Bible, and I took my wife on the cheapest dates ever because we all went to McDonald's afterwards and ate McFlurries. And, and that was part of following Jesus too. When I was in Irvine, or when we were living in Irvine before we came here, a bunch of us met up at seven o'clock in the morning for breakfast every Wednesday, usually in the church, but one week, none of us had our church keys. So we met in someone's car, and that was our church small group that week too. Up here, I'm part of the prayer group that meets on Thursdays. I've been part of the men's group out of the living rooms next door. I've met up with a friend over Zoom for um, many months. We chatted about um, what it is to be a minister. We critiqued each other's sermons, prayed for each other. I've been part of pastor's groups as well up here. And when any of these groups have lapsed, I've missed it very much. None of the people realise how much they mean to me. I cherish the thought that I'm building relationships that may well last my lifetime. And what I desire for all of you this morning is that if you're not already part of a group, and some of you are part of smaller groups like this, that if you're not especially, that God might put within you a desire to not just look at the minister on a Sunday, but look at each other, talk to each other, help each other grow to become all that God wants you to be. May this be the beginning of an upsurge of ministry and life among the saints of our church. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who is in community. We praise you as a God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And also we praise you as a God who has made us to be in community. That we might love and serve and care for each other as part of our natural families and friendship circles. But especially within the church. For we are not alone in the church. We are part of your family. And we pray, God, that you might stir up within each and every one of us a desire to grow and love you more and be part of a smaller network of people, not just facing the front on a Sunday, but meeting together every week, every couple of weeks, whenever it might be. Lord, might you help all of us to love and serve and pray for each other, even if we're nervous, even if we've never done it before, to begin that desire to follow you and live for you and love each other more 
in a more intimate way. Lord, bless our church, we pray, in all of these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to come up and lead us in prayer in a minute, but before we do so, we're going to um, sing again as we are gathered. prayers um, never un- underestimate the power of prayer it's, I've seen it firsthand myself, being prayed for, being healed uh, praying for others and letting the Holy Spirit heal, heal them as well so wh- when we pray really buy into it, it's not just me open mouth and gas coming out, which normally happens um, when I pray I, f- I find it as a, a direct line of the Holy Spirit to God so just bear that in mind when, when you are listening to prayer, that it is a, that direct line, it does work and it, it's a real, it's a real thing. So, we just take a moment and uh, let us let us gather together in prayer. Father God, we pray for all of our church family. In particular, we pray for Margaret Hutchinson this time. We pray that she is she's healed, Lord. We also pray, pray for her comfort in, in your grace. We pray for the the wider church family our brothers and sisters in Christ, all who may be unwell at this time, going through difficult times, going through treatment, suffering loss, feeling lost, rejection, feeling insecure. Lord, may they be healed. If it's in your plans, let them be healed. Let them have your grace. May they feel the peace of God's grace, every one of our, our brothers and sisters. 
may they feel the warmth and comfort of our sovereign Lord's embrace. Lord, we pray, we know, Lord, that you have love for all your children. Let every one of your children realise that, we pray. We also pray for all of your children around the planet. Your world is a miracle that you have created for us to flourish. We all, we all try to flourish, not always reach that, that perfect point that you, Jesus, have, have reached for us. Even after we continually let you down, you still love us and forgive us, as you are our Father, our true Father in heaven. We pray that, that each of your children realise this. You are a good, good God. While conflict starts in the hearts of the individual, hate is a disease that does not come from you. We know that, Lord. We pray for the protection of our own hearts, that we show love, not hate, to our brothers and sisters and to those in our community. We pray that the light of our, our Lord Jesus Christ will soften the hearts of men and women and lead them away from the darkness into salvation. Nobody wins in war. There's only suffering. May the angels of the Lord protect the innocents and those sent to promote peace in conflict. Let us love one another as you taught us, O Lord. Let us all take a minute of silence to pray for ourselves, for our loved ones. Prayer doesn't have to be out loud. Let us all just take a minute in silence and pray for our own prayers. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, we pray. Amen. We're going to close our time together by singing Water Fellowship.
May the blessing of our God from Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Oh
FM News. 